Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see your faces this morning. Hey, can we take a minute and honor the band and thank them for leading us in worship? Was that great? That was great. Hey, and I want to give a warm welcome again to everybody who's streaming with us online. Maybe you hopped in midstream, mid-service. We are glad that you have joined us here today, too. As Pastor Dale just said, the vast majority of our church is joining us online, which is crazy town, but we're glad that you are here. So everybody, I'm just glad to be back here at the West Campus. It's good to be here. It's also special. It's not every day where Pastor Dale and myself get to be at the same church on a Sunday morning. That's crazy. He and I are kind of like Batman and Bruce Wayne. They've never been seen at the same place at the same time. And so here we are. It's great to be here together uh, today, this morning. We get to do that like once every two years, it feels like. We're usually at either other campus, so it's great to be here together. So we are getting ready, as you can see, and as you have heard, we're getting ready to ramp up for the Christmas season, and we've all been working really hard behind the scenes to prepare something special for you and for your family. So here's what we're doing, everybody. We're providing something for everybody. Christmas at CUH, say this with me, indoors, indoors. Outdoors. outdoors, online. Indoors, outdoors, and online. Here's what we're doing. We're providing indoor services. So if you are comfortable and you want an indoor service with the traditional Christmas candlelight stuff that we do, we're going to be doing that at the East Campus only. That's the campus I will be speaking at. And we're going to have a normal Christmas Eve service for those of you who feel comfortable. We're going to be socially distanced. We're going to be doing masks, all that stuff, obviously, with taking care of our responsibilities with the pandemic. But that's on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. in English, 7 p.m. in Spanish. Now we're going to also do outdoor services here in Loxahatchee at our West Campus. This is where Pastor Dale is going to speak at those two services at 5 and at 7 p.m. Here's what we're calling those. B-Y-O-C. Bring your own chair, okay? So bring your own chair, bring your lawn chair, bring a blanket for you and your family. It's going to be beautiful. If you haven't seen our church yet and all the Christmas lights we put up at nighttime, oh my goodness, it's stunning. You're going to love it. Again, that's all weather permitting, okay, right? And so then lastly, we've also created services for everybody online. Those are on demand. So it's not a certain time when they're streaming. It's whenever it's right for you and for your family. And that's going to go on demand starting on the tw- Monday the 21st, where you can just pick your own experience. So well, there's something for everybody, indoors, outdoors, online. Pick your experience for how you feel most comfortable for Christmas this season. So make sure you check that out. So with that, we are in week three of our Advent series that we're calling Make Room, where we're talking about what does it look like to make room for more of God in our lives this Christmas season. If you were with us last week, Pastor Dale spoke, and he did a great job, as always. Now, um, I act, I watch every single week, even if I'm at the East Campus, I watch the stream. You know, I like to hear Pastor Dale preach, too. And he did this really mean thing last week. Mm, mm, yeah. So he decided to throw some shade on me and my love for Coca-Cola and said some nonsense about like Pepsi is better than Coke. And then when he said that, the Holy Spirit left the building and it was really awkward for everybody. And he started off like, oh, you know, somebody, I got comments about Trevor and Coke and blah, 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 whatever. Well, I got comments too, buddy. All right. So here's a comment from last week. Here's a piece of coal. All right. There you go. That's for you. 
right here, right here. Santa says you hurt his feelings, okay? Or does everybody knows what Santa's favorite drink? Duh, right? All right, so enough of that nonsense. But in all seriousness, we are talking about the Christmas season and making room for more of God in our lives. That's really what Advent is all about. Advent is a four-week period before Christmas where we are preparing our hearts to remember and receive the coming of Jesus. Jesus came to us 2,000 years ago, God in human flesh. And he also comes to us and through the scriptures. He comes to us through the sending of the Holy Spirit, and he has promised to come again when he returns in final glory. Now, the thing we're focusing on in this Advent season is this scripture here from Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want you to read it with me out loud all together, and even online, wherever you're streaming this, at home or on your TV, on your phone, whatever, read this out loud with us too. Ready? Go. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So here's where we've been. Excuse me, there we go. Here's where we've been the past couple weeks in Make Room. We've talked in week one of Make Room that we need to prepare our hearts to make room for Jesus. We do that through confessing sin, through repentance, through asking for more of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about in week two last week of Pastor Dale that we make room for more of God in our lives when we make time for Jesus in our everyday lives. And today, we're going to be talking about making room for more of God in our lives with our treasure. So there's something that's actually really cool that's going to be happening in a few days. And no, it's not the Christmas services that we're talking about or whatnot. Um, I want to show you a picture. And so here's a picture on the screen of some stars and beautiful landscape shot at night. And what you see on the screen on the left side are two bright stars. Can you see them? Two brighter stars than every other. Those aren't actually stars. Those are planets. And those are Saturn and Jupiter. Now, what's really neat that's coming in up, and some of you have seen you share it on social media and other stuff, it's starting to make its rounds, that one week from tomorrow, on Monday, December 21st, we'll be able to see what astronomers are calling the Christmas star. Now, occasionally, Saturn and Jupiter will come into perfect alignment from the view of our little blue planet, and they're overlap. they do overlap from our view from time to time, but this is the closest they've ever overlapped together, appearing to be one giant star. It's the first time we're going to get this view of these two planets, get this, in 800 years. Yeah, incredible. It's going to be 7 p.m. on Monday night if I read the right article. Now, what's really fascinating about that, the last time someone on Earth could see this phenomenon happen was on March 4th, which happens to be my dad's birthday, but not in 1951. In the year 1226 was the last time people were able to see this on the planet. Experts call this a great conjunction, where this looks like a huge, giant star in the sky. And what a lot of experts are saying is that maybe, just maybe, it was either this great conjunction or another conjunction of planets aligning that maybe 
is the Christmas star that the wise men saw that led them to Bethlehem. We could get a picture of maybe something that they saw 2,000 years ago. Isn't that so cool? Yeah. And that's a perfect lead-in for our passage for today. That if we're going to actually get to see something similar to what they saw 2,000 years ago, it's totally appropriate for us to look at this passage, to look at the story of the star. Like, how many you put stars on your, the top of your Christmas tree? This is why we do that. Let's look at the passage together and what we can learn from it, how we can glean from, from our lives and learn how to make room for more of God from this story. So this is uh, from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. If you haven't opened up your COH app yet, go ahead and do that to open up your sermon notes. Otherwise, just grab your Bible or your Bible app, however you read your Bible. It's going to be on the screen. Just follow along. It says here, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem, in Judah. They replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the title of this morning's message, we're calling Treasure Hunt. Treasure Hunt. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's my favorite prayer these days when I have the privilege of communicating your word that as we read the Bible, would you cause the Bible to read us? Lord, no one's here to hear a religious TED Talk. None of us have time for that. We come with hungry souls because we want to hear from the living God. So would you speak afresh to every single one of us here, me included, and let this be a demonstration of your spirit's power in this time. Come speak to us. We want to hear you. We want our lives to change. We want our souls fed with bread from heaven, with living water. Would you come and do that? Lord, that's beyond my abilities and my capabilities and my strengths. I am not capable of that, but you are by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you come and do it, we pray. It's in your name we ask these things. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, so... We're all pretty familiar with these three characters, right? We're all pretty familiar with wise men, magi. Most of our nativity scenes, if you do a nativity scene, usually has three people wearing turbans on camels, 
coming to the scene. We read books about this. We sing about it. We three kings, yada, yada, yada. Now, the thing is that we even joke about this. Our, our children's director, Jessica Stafford, she's spoken here before. Isn't Jessica awesome? Anybody love Jessica here? We would love Jess. So she's preaching today at the East Campus, and we were going over this message together. She joked about, yeah, if these guys were really wise, they would have brought diapers instead, right? <laughs> right. Now, but here's what actually is going on with the Magi, okay? So Matthew refers to them as Magi, but we call them wise men. They're not necessarily kings. Uh, what is a Magi or wise men? What is that? Well, they were astrologers. They were not astronomers, astrologers. That's the difference between the study uh, of the stars and the worship and prayer to the stars. So they were astrologers, okay? Now, people have mistakenly thought that there was three of these guys because there's three categories of gifts. Gold, frankincense, not Frankenstein, frankincense. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but actually there's probably a lot more of them because it was a caravan. They came from ancient Persia or what's most likely modern day Iran all the way to Jerusalem. I think what's totally fascinating about this story and what I really, really love is that even though these guys um, are practicing astrology, which in the scriptures totally forbids that, like God does not want us to engage the spiritual realm any other way outside of himself. People get messed up on the inside when they end up doing that. And so here are these guys having this religious practice, this spiritual practice that's totally outlawed by the God of the Bible, and yet God meets them in it. And somehow, someway through their practice, they see this bright star, and somehow they figure out the Savior of the world, the King of the Jews, has been born. And even though we're not Jews, we've come to worship him. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. It just shows the mercy and kindness of God to reach out through these people's spiritual seeking. Like, they don't know what they're doing. They're probably doing it all the wrong way, but they're trying, right? And God meets people when they reach out to him and they try, just like some of us are doing. We're trying to figure it out. Amen? Amen. Amen. So God meets them draws them to Jerusalem. They end up figuring out how to get to Bethlehem. It's an incredible story. I'm so fascinated by this. Now, one of the things that we're talking about is when um, I have little kids at home. And so when I read the story in you know picture Bibles or in Christmas books or whatever, it's often depicted with fun little illustrations or whatever. So here's a picture from one of the children's Bibles that we have um, where it kind of shows them, again, three people on three camels. There's probably a lot more. It was a caravan. And there they are on their way to get to Jerusalem. Now, I think this is actually a really good, accurate illustration because it was not like they took an Uber and punched it in on Apple Maps or whatever of how to get to where the king of the Jews was born. They had to take a caravan. They were on camels. They went to Jerusalem first. They went to the wrong city. Then they had to go to Bethlehem. This is not A to B, everybody. It's a journey. And I love that that picture, you know what it looks like to me? It looks like a treasure map, doesn't it? It's like the star is X marks the spot. And so this is what we're talking about today of like, this is a treasure hunt in a lot of ways. Now, what's really interesting is that they were absolutely interested in treasure. They're absolutely interested in finding treasure. But their treasure wasn't the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. Pardon, er, consider this with me. Ponder this. In the English language, treasure is both a noun, right? Like you can have treasure, 
like pirates do. I don't know, you know. You can have treasure, and it's also a verb that you can treasure something, right? See, Scripture does this too. See, in another birth narrative in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke in particular, it says this in Luke 2, 19, when it talks about Jesus' mother, Mary. It says here that Mary, there it is, treasured. Ah, all the, up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's a verb, everybody. See, treasure is a verb, but it's also a noun. And what I'm trying to show you here today from reading the scriptures in a fresh perspective, what we looked at this with our teaching team this week, is that the wise men, the magi, came not to just give treasure. They came because they were trying to treasure something as a verb. And that's one of the ways that you can really make room for more of God in your life is when you learn to treasure him. So here's the one thing, all I'm trying to say today, I'm going to look at from a couple different angles, but the one thing I just want you to know today is you make room for God in your life when you choose to treasure Jesus. You make room for more of God in your life when you choose to treasure Jesus. So what does that look like? Here's what we can learn from the Magi. Here's what we can learn from them. First off, we see that from the Magi, we seek what we treasure, okay? So if your verb treasuring something, we seek what we treasure. Matthew 2, 1 through 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, again, a long ways off, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These guys totally went out of their way. They didn't take an afternoon trip to the beach. This was a quest for them to seek the thing that they treasured. Um, One speaker that we really like around here often says something like this. You have to go out of your way to get in the way of the thing you really want. You hear that? Sometimes you have to go out of the way to get in the way of the thing you really want. We seek what we treasure. And people go to incredible lengths to find the treasure that they seek. Let me show you something. Here's an interesting picture that was in the news this week. It's very cool. So the older man on the right is a man named Forrest Finn. Now, um, if you've been coming to Community Folk for any period of time, Pastor Dale and myself actually talked about Mr. Fenn uh, a little over a year ago in our November series that we called Scattered. And we talked about this man. He has an incredible story. Here's the Cliff Notes version of it. He used to be an Air Force pilot. He was a retired pilot. Somehow, someway, ended up opening up a gallery in New Mexico with his wife where they sell like Indian artifacts and jewels and, you know, gold and nuggets, I mean, all coins, all this crazy like treasure type of stuff. His gallery was so successful, he was grossing $6 million a year, okay? So apparently this whole treasure thing in New Mexico is a thing, all right, right? So he's doing really well. Well, in 1988, he got diagnosed with cancer, and they said it was terminal. And so this guy had this wild idea when he thought his life was coming to an end soon. He literally has all these gold coins and gems and jewels and all this crazy stuff, and he thought, I think I know what I'll do. 
He took a good collection of it, put it in a chest, and literally hid it in a forest in one of his favorite spots in the whole world, the spot where he was out on a hike one day and went, ah, this is one day the place I want to be buried, and I'm going to bury treasure here. Isn't that the craziest thing? Like, can you imagine, like, one day, God willing, decades and decades from now, when I'm old and gray, and I've lived a long life, and I have Leah and my kids all around the table, there's Leah and Cade and, and Tessa and Suzanne, and they're all around the bed, and we're saying our goodbyes to each other. And I'm like, Leah, kids, love Jesus. Don't worry, I love you. It's going to be okay. We'll see each other again soon one day. Go in God's peace. Ugh. <laughs> oh, but wait. Uh. <laughs> but don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. Oh, but wait, but wait. I've buried treasure in the Everglades. Go find it. <laughs> it is like the weirdest thing ever. This guy's on crazy pills, right? But he actually did this. And then he ended up surviving the cancer. And then he wrote a book about his life and told the story about stuff. And at the end of the book said, by the way, I buried a treasure in the mountains in the Rockies somewhere north of Santa Fe. He wrote a 20-line poem that if you were able to decode the poem, you could go on the treasure hunt and find the treasure. Hundreds of people tried to do this. Multiple people died trying to look for this. You can't make this stuff up. This is all real. And so people thought this guy's old and crazy and this never actually happened. He never actually buried treasure, yada, yada, yada. All right, so here's what came out in the news this week. We told this story last year because it's a fun, crazy story about seeking. Here's what's really cool. This week, put the picture back up in the room and online so everybody can see it online. The dude on the left is the man who found the treasure and he came public this week. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just nuts? And he came public this week because poor Mr. Fenn did eventually end up passing just recently, and the poor guy had to come public because people were suing the Fenn estate. So listen to this dude. His name is Jack Stoof. That's a last name. Jack Stoof. I'm sorry, Jack, if you're listening to this. I just made fun of your last name. Jesus loves you, even if I'm a jerk. Okay. (laughs) Jack Stoof. He's a 32-year-old medical student. He learned about the treasure just two years ago in 2018, and he became totally obsessed with it. He's the only one who figured out the poem. And then he went to a, a forest in a remote spot. He's not telling anybody where it is because it's not safe to go there. It's not a tourist location. To a forest in Wyoming. And get this, he spent 25 days digging in the woods by himself. At the end of some of those days, he would sit down on, um, on, on like a stump or sit down on a tree covered in dirt and scratches and exhausted and would weep tears of frustration because he couldn't find this thing that he knew was someone there, somewhere there. And then on the 25th day, he found the treasure. And he said it was the greatest sense of relief he's ever experienced in his entire life. Pretty crazy, right? Good for him. Good for him. What's the point? We go to crazy lengths to find what we're seeking, don't we? Yeah. Jesus, when he was older, spoke about the types of treasure that we seek. He said this just a few chapters later in Matthew, once he was an adult in his public ministry. He said in verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. But store it for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So friends, here's Jesus's point. Everybody is seeking some kind of treasure. I hope you're not digging in the Everglades for a treasure box, right? But you're seeking something. Everybody does. What's the treasure you're seeking? And is it worth you giving your life for? Jesus says, seek the treasure that matters most. Author Randy Alcorn says this, he who lays up treasures on earth spends his life backing away from his treasure because he can't take it with him when he dies. And so when the person who dies, death is loss for them. But the person who lays up treasure in heaven spends their life getting closer to what they treasure most. And death is gain. And he who spends his life moving toward their treasure has reason to rejoice. So let me ask you this. If you ask the people closest to you, like maybe your best friend, maybe your significant other, maybe your spouse or your kids or family member, I don't know. If you ask them, hey, what do you think I spend my life seeking? What do you think they would say to you? Maybe a challenge this week is maybe be courageous enough to ask them what you spend your life seeking. We learned from the Magi, we should seek the treasure that matters most. And they clearly treasured the baby boy the most. So we also learned from the Magi, from the wise men, that we worship, we actually worship what we treasure. We see here in our passage in the first half of verse 11, it says here, coming to the house, they saw the child. Again, the thing that there obviously was their real treasure. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Wow, what a great verse. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to seem a little counterintuitive to everybody, but I want you to follow me. I actually think that our culture is great at worship. That's right. I think you are awesome at worship. Uh, I said this at the last service, and one guy in the back went, there's verbal scoffing out loud at this. Here's what I mean. Now, even though our culture is becoming more post-Christian, they're less interested in the church, they're super skeptical about Pastor Dale and myself and people who tell people about Jesus from a stage with a microphone on their heads, I still think we're awesome at worship. And all you have to do to see that I'm right is just on any given college football stadium on Saturday afternoon in America in the fall is just go there. Don't worry, I'm not dunking on college football. I love football. I think it's fun. I'm going to watch an NFL game later today where, God willing, the when I'm, I'm not going to pray my team wins. That's bad. Last time I bragged on my team, they got shellacked, so I'm not going to jinx it anymore. But, I mean, I love football, so this isn't like boo football. I'm not one of those pastors. But, like, see what I mean? I went to Florida State when we used to play football, you know, instead of, like, sending out our, like, lacrosse team to play football. And... um and what we had all these traditions, we were great at worship. Sure, we weren't singing to a God, but man, all everybody came, everyone knew the right way to dress. 
you gather together in a large crowd of people. Remember when we used to do that? You gathered together with a large crowd of people. We had 80,000 people rocking Dilk Campbell Stadium. We knew how to start our time together. There was a song we'd sing. We'd lift our hands oh, oof, at kickoff. We had songs to sing when we scored a field goal, songs to sing when we scored a touchdown, songs to sing and things we did with our hands and with our arms to get our team going as we were in the middle of our time together. And if you're at Florida State, if you're a Gator, you have like four or five songs, a bunch of different hand motions. At, the, at Florida State, you got one thing you do and your shoulder hurt the next day because of it. We spent all this time together. And we didn't not just singing or chanting or lifting up our arms. There were symbols. We had a, a chief Osiel would come with a flaming spear and slam it into the middle of the field at the beginning of the time when the fourth quarter would start. Everybody holds up fingers with four on it to say that we used to own the fourth quarter and all this stuff. Man, we were really good at worship. I'm not saying we're worshiping football, but here's what I mean by worship. I mean that we were really good at expressing adoration, as expressing love, of outwardly expressing our affirmation of what was going on and our support of what was going on. That's a lot of what worship is. It's expressing what's on the inside here. And the funny thing was, I was part of a campus ministry, which is kind of like a college church, and we were winning college students hand over fist to follow Jesus Christ, that they would be searching for life and hope and looking for it in all the wrong places, and then they would find Jesus and find the answer to all their soul's desires. And they would come, some guys would come on Sunday morning, and they would kind of just stand like this. During songs, they'd kind of do. And I would look at them like, are you not enjoying yourself? I mean, do you, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, I'm just not an expressive kind of a guy. I'm like, dude, I saw you painted from head to toe in garnet glitter paint yesterday, <laughs> screaming your horse from the game. You're not expressive? You kidding me? We're actually good at worship. And so we see from the Magi, they found the baby boy, and they did this with their bodies and their posture. They bowed down. And they worshiped. It's pretty powerful. So here's what we can learn from the Magi. How are you expressing what's on the inside for God? Yeah, I'm not here to throw shade on anybody if you're still learning about worship and you're not a great singer, like I'm not a great singer. Yeah, but if you just stand like this the whole time in service, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you sung a little bit louder. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if you had some sort of posture of worship or prayer. And let's paint with a broad stroke too. Worship isn't just singing. It's not just on Sunday morning. Worship happens not on Sunday morning, but also on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday when you're doing dishes and Thursday when you're taking your kids to soccer practice. It can happen in lots of different ways. And it's not just singing. But how are you expressing outwardly what's on the inside with God? That's how you treasure something. It's how you express your love and admiration for it. How's that going for you? And what's a step you could take to grow in that this Christmas season? All right, so we seek what we treasure, we worship what we treasure. Here's the last one. We give our treasure to what we treasure. We give our treasure to what we treasure. We see here in the last half of verse 11, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh, which one of those is an essential oil, and ladies like, oh my gosh, see, Jesus loves essential oils, and you know, blah, whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> that really got you, <laughs> So, um, I've heard it said that you could see what's really important to you based off two things, your calendar and your checkbook. And my wife and I, the way we track our spending is we look at apps that show our spending. We were kind of having a finance meeting in our house because we're a little bit over budget on a couple things. And we opened up that part of the app that shows your spending in the pie chart, you know, that wonderful tool of dread. And we opened it up and it looks like I had overspent a little bit, mainly on food and eating out and mainly on me loving pizza too much. (laughs) And it just showed me that I'm valuing convenience and comfort food most right now. And I could see it by how I was spending my dollars. And this is just true of life. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. We're going to put it on the screen. He said, where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, this is very important here. Now, this is so crucial for me. Anytime I have the privilege to talk about money or giving or generosity or anything like that. Guys, I love that verse in Matthew. Put that back up on the screen, please. Matthew six twenty one. I want to be very clear. Jesus does not need your money. Let's not insult God, right? Everything belongs to him. Does God need your money? No, no, but he absolutely is after your heart. And that's why Jesus talks about this. He doesn't care about your money. He wants you. And he knows that we give our treasure to what we treasure. I see a wonderful thing happens here. When, because a lot of people come to our church from a lot of different spiritual backgrounds. Some people, this is the first church they've ever been to. Some people, this is the first church they've been to in a really long time because they had a bad experience. Other people, they've been coming for decades. Just depends. Wide range of experience. When people grow in what the Bible calls the grace of giving, you usually start off through obedience. Like, okay, I'm doing this because Jesus says so. And then you move to compassion. And then you move to love, like you're giving out of love. But you know what the highest level of giving is? It's when you begin to treasure what Jesus treasures. And you know what Jesus treasures most? It's human hearts, souls. And when people make the transition in their spiritual maturity, when they begin seeing dollar signs as opportunities for souls, you know you're beginning to treasure what Jesus treasures. Amen? So here's what this looks like. Um, If you want to grow in this area in your relationship with God, here's what that opportunity looks like for you. Let's say you've never given before ever. What would it look like for you to just give for the very first time this year? Just give once for the first time. Maybe that's you. Let's say you've given, but it's just been here or there. It's not really regular. What would it look like for you to take a step to become just regular in what you give? Just something between you and God to think about. There are people who you have been giving and you've been giving regularly, but man, you're on autopilot and it just comes out every month. You don't even think about it. You don't even feel it. 
It's just in there. That's how my wife and I are. It's been in our budget. It's the first thing in our budget. It's the first thing we do. It's been like that. It's automatic. It's been there for years. I don't even feel it anymore. What's that look like for you? Look again at that number and prayerfully take time. Say, Jesus, what do you think about this? And he might keep it the same. He might compel you to change it. That's between you and him. And then lastly, if I were to be really bold, what would it look like for you to give your treasure to what you treasure and to treasure Jesus with that part of your life? Some of us here, maybe online, in our fellowship, there's been a lot of people who really struggled during COVID. Some of us have actually unexpectedly flourished during this season where God has blessed you or blessed your business. Maybe for you, you might consider how you could be generous back to God for him being generous with you. If you want to grow that part of your walk with God. So here's what we've learned. We learned that we treasure Jesus by choosing to seek him first with what's most important in our lives. We choose to treasure Jesus by expressing our worship to him. And we choose to treasure Jesus by giving our treasure to what's actually most valuable, which is him. Would you make room for more of God in your life this season through what you treasure? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so very much for the gift of your word, for the wonderful example of these magi, these wise men who were outside of the fold, who were spiritual seekers, who you reached out to and you guided to yourself. Lord, first, before we pray about anything else we've talked about, I just want to pray for people who are spiritual seekers in this room or streaming online or listening to this on a podcast. Thank you that you're the God that reaches back for us and guides us to yourself. Lord, you long to be found by people. You don't make it hard for us to find you. You come to us. Thank you. That's really the message of Christmas. You came to us first. And we worship you for that. So Lord, you're worthy of it all. And we make room for you this season, not just with how we prepare our hearts or with our time, but Lord, even with what we treasure and how we treasure you. Would you speak to each of our hearts and apply this to exactly how we might individually need it? You're the one who knows us best and loves us most. You know how to apply it. Would you do that? Because we're open. Lead us, Holy Spirit. We make room for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Hey, well, so uh, if you're streaming with us online, maybe you're here in person, you're ready to take a next step in your spiritual journey, we'd love to help you do that. If you just text the word next to the number on the screen or go to communityofhope.church slash next, we'll help you. Maybe you want to become a follower of Christ, recommit your life to him, get baptized, get more involved in our church, whatever it is, reach out to us. We'll help you take your next step. With that, if you're able, would you please stand for our closing moment? And let me pray over us. Uh, our church's theme verse, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, Merry Christmas. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next week.